0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Round by round, upside targets on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome into Rotoviz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, one of the owners at Rotoviz. I'm very excited for this episode tonight. I'm going to be doing a solo show here. Uh, as I record this on Wednesday night, you'll be listening to this likely on Thursday morning. Curtis and I are gonna regroup and record some episodes on Thursday night. So you should have another show coming out on Friday. With that out of the way. Let me break down a little bit what we're going to do in this show, and then we will get into the FFPC stat attack. But one of the things that I've been thinking about as our listeners start to enter into more of those regular redraft type of drafts, not playing or not drafting in best ball leagues or building teams for tournaments. But I want to just talk about those of you or talk about a topic here that I think would apply to a lot of listeners who are in that home league or... Drafting for a league in isolation where some of the other things we've talked about apply here, but maybe not as specifically. So I wanted to have an episode that could really focus on redraft leagues where you're just drafting in that one league. And I know at the top of the episode I said the upside targets, but we're we're also going to do is kind of think about if you are trying to make a safer selection in a round who I think those players would be. If you're going for upside, who I think those players would be, uh, as I think that that can be useful for people out there building a team as they're thinking about the selections that they make and how they want to structure that. Now, there's a couple of different ways that you can factor those players into your draft. I think that it really depends on the specific settings of your league, maybe to some extent, The other drafters that are in your draft and who they're selecting, but maybe more so your comfort for taking swings, absorbing risk, uh, the positions that you like to go after in your draft. I think for me, I do focus. And a lot of people will talk about how with your first couple of picks, you don't want to get too risky. The one thing I would say there is really, you know, in the first round, you're looking at a lot of players that probably have a similar risk profile in that your range of outcomes you would expect for them are pretty similar. Now there might be some extraneous factors I shouldn't, excuse me, not extraneous factors. There might be some specific factors for a particular player um, outside of what you would ex- outside of what you would usually expect for a range of outcomes, maybe based upon some type of injury history or a large concern with their team that they are on, you know, perhaps it's a wide receiver and there's major issues with their quarterback. That could be something that would shift those things. Um, but what I do focus on is making sure that I'm getting enough potential for upside on a team, especially in the later rounds of the draft. And then I'm also not picking players singularly because they feel safe. Safe is a very relative term in fantasy football. I think what we mean by safe is that we feel that you have a better grasp on the confidence level that you have of of actually understanding that player's range of outcomes. Which is different than saying that you think this player is safe because they have some type of floor. Sometimes those things get discussed in a way that makes them appear to be synonymous or implies that they're synonymous, but those are two very different things. So if I'm looking at two players that I think have a similar range of outcomes, but I feel much more confident knowing that I am properly estimating that range of outcomes and it's early in the draft, I might be more inclined to draft that player if I'm drafting only a handful of teams. So I think that's an important distinction to make as we start to talk through some of these uh, different concepts here. But first, we are going to hit a quick FFPC stat attack. So today's FFPC stat attack brought to you by the fine folks at myffpc.com relates to Deontay Johnson. Now, Deontay Johnson last year ranked number two among wide receivers in expected points per game but was number 213 in fantasy points over expectation per game, finished as the wide receiver 8 in PPR per game in 2020. He was number 207 fantasy points over expectation per game, but was number 7 in expected points per game, finished as the wide receiver 2021. Why do I bring this up? I bring it up because we have talked a l- In one episode in particular, a lot about how I felt like his ADP is too low. And I bring this up to show that Deontay Johnson has not needed to be efficient. But if you did manage to get some efficiency in there, man, he could absolutely smash. So I wanted to highlight that here as we start to think about some of these concepts here of a player perhaps being safe or a player perhaps having upside. Uh, And in the case of Johnson, you could point to questions at quarterback. Curtis and I have talked ad nauseum about the number of ways in which getting Roethlisberger out of there could actually benefit him. Um, So I think that there's some cases where there's players with upside that might not be as clear uh, because yes, he's always had a ton of volume. So there's only so much extra volume that you could expect. But for a player like Johnson, even a Bump in efficiency by like a, you know, 25% margin, or if you're thinking, you know, it's an incremental type of jump in efficiency, it could be pretty meaningful when you're talking about a player that finished eighth overall last year in PPR per game. So the other thing here um, that we can focus on is the number of wide receiver one finishes he had in 2021. He 31% of his weeks were wide receiver one weeks, 38% were wide receiver two. If you look back at 2020, you'll see that he had 40% of his weeks be wide receiver one weeks. So there's been a lot of really solid weeks for Deontay Johnson. I expect that to continue and that is today's FFPC stat attack. Go check out my FFPC.com. Sign up for the main event. You absolutely have to do that. Check out Football Guys Players Championship Drafts, uh, best ball tournaments, and of course those RotoViz Triflex Dynasty Leagues. All right. So let's get into the heart of today's episode. We are going to take a look at Players starting in rounds four. Uh, We're going to ignore for for purposes here. Rounds one, two, and three. And I'm going to read off the names from FFPC redraft leagues, not super flex drafts. Read off the names for each round. And then I'm going to identify one player that I think has the most upside and one player that I think is the safest from the aspect of safety that I mentioned earlier. Now, I'm formulating these opinions based upon a lot of the things that we've talked about. So this is based upon the projection building process that I went through that we talked about at length through the range of outcomes building process that I talked about. Even though I'm not building those, I'm the one running the models, reviewing the results, making sure that things look as we would expect, Reviewing, making sure we didn't have any issues when those models ran, and then trying to digest those results, point out to the team anything that really stood out. And the final piece would be from getting the opinions of everybody else, talking with Curtis, reading what Sean's writing, talking with Blair, reading some of his research. Uh, you know, all the great writers on the team, everything that's coming out. So from those three things, it's kind of informing my opinion. I'll try to hit some of the highlights. Um, but I might not go that in depth here on that research as I'd like to cover significant ground here, but just be aware that these are opinions that are grounded through those processes. So round four starts off with Brandon Cooks, Gabriel Davis, Dalton Schultz, Cam Akers, Deontay. Well, okay. To be specific here, it actually starts off. It goes, Josh Allen, Mike Williams, Brees Hall, George Kittle, Jalen Waddle, Alan Robinson, Terry McLaurin, Deontay Johnson, Cam Akers, Dalton Schultz, Gabriel Davis, and Brandon Cooks. So let's start off with the player that has the most upside. From this list, I think that you could argue probably that Brees Hall actually has the most upside as I do think that it's in his range of outcomes that he could finish as a top eight or better running back. He's being selected at running back 18. I think if you compare him to a player like Cam Akers, though Akers isn't a great offense, there's a much clearer path in my mind to him being able to control the entirety of his offense. We could also see the Jets offense take a bit of a step forward. Now, perhaps if things hit perfectly for Cam Akers, he would have more upside in the from the standpoint of having the potential maybe to be like the RB3 or the RB4. But one of the things that I've written about before on the site is that we're probably thinking about upside wrong. In my opinion, a player's upside isn't just his absolute best outcome, how high he could go you still have to consider that distribution. And I hate to always bring up thinking about things through distribution, but the reality is when you are making predictions or you're trying to optimize or you're doing anything that involves probability, you have to consider these distributions. So it's possible that the absolute maximum of Cam Akers distribution is higher than Brees Hall's maximum, but I think, in my perspective, there are more scenarios where Brees Hall is approximating the top end of his distribution than Cam Akers. If you shifted to looking at the wide receivers, there are a lot of players that I think you could make the case for. I talked about Deontay Johnson having some upside, but I would think that we've already, since we've already seen Deontay Johnson finish at wide receiver eight it'd probably make more sense to assign this to somebody like a Gabe Davis or Jalen Waddell uh, who are still younger players and could really propel forward. Now, I should probably look up because I actually don't know off the top of my head just how high Jalen Waddle finished last year on a per-game basis. So I'm going to pull this up quickly. Yeah, he finished at wide receiver 14. Um, just to share a little bit more information here, let's take a quick look At Gabe Davis, uh, who I will note has been a bit of a pain in the butt this year because different sites keep changing the way that his name is spelled. And that causes us to need to do some things behind the scenes. So he finished last year as the wide receiver 78 in PPR per game. Week 15 against Carolina, he put up 25.5 in 2020. He had three games as a wide receiver three and really outside of that wide receiver one weekly performance in week 15 against Carolina and his three wide receiver two performances in 2020 has not really done a whole lot to speak of. So from, I think that I would have to say Gabe Davis has the most upside this year to to outplay what we've seen from him in the past. And then with his ADP coming in behind these other players, I do think it's possible that you could have a situation where Gabe Davis becomes a major focal point of that offense in Buffalo. Um, I'm not sure that the distribution is high enough, but I think if I'm doing that Delta between expectations and the where they could land that feels reasonable and in a reasonable number of times it's Gabe Davis. So I'm realizing as I'm talking here that maybe I'm not following that rubric I had outlined, but I still think there's value in talking about these different players. Uh, And lots of times in fantasy discussions, things get placed in this binary context, but we've, always felt at the site that it's that nuance in between those binaries that really matters. And when you understand some of these ins and outs, that gives you more information to apply in the context of the team that you're building in a particular draft than something silly, like just saying uh, these are the five players you need to target this year. Or when you have this, you know, kind of binary situation that you make where it's Amari Cooper or Amon Ra St. Brown and it's not always one or the other. Hopefully that makes sense.
0: Now the safest player here. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: I would say, is Deontay Johnson for those reasons that I mentioned. The role in the offense feels stable. You look at the range of outcomes tool. You look at how you would build a set of projections. You're going to end up in a very similar spot for him. You could maybe argue Mike Williams. But with Mike Williams being positioned towards the end, or towards the beginning of this round, I would feel a little bit more confident being able to accurately project Deontay Johnson and where he could reasonably land. Um, In comparison to Mike Williams, I'm using ADP to kind of break that tie because in the case of the wide receiver 16 versus the wide receiver 20, you'd want to have a little bit more confidence. I think I'm a little bit more confident saying my expectations for Deontay Johnson are more likely to be right than they are for Mike Williams though I do feel pretty good projecting Mike Williams as a likely fringe wide receiver one this year. Okay, we move on to round five. It goes Marquise Brown, J.K. Dobbins, David Montgomery, Amon Ross St. Brown, Justin Herbert, Jerry Judy, D.K. Metcalf, Juju Smith-Schuster, Rashad Bateman, Michael Thomas, A.J. Dillon, Patrick Mahomes. This feels like a very different round here to me than the one we just talked about. Identifying the upside players feels a little bit more difficult in saying that I have a great feel for the exact distribution of those top and outcomes. So as I look at this list, AJ Dillon looks like he could be in line for a lot of work. But we're really not that certain just how much that could be, how this Packers offense might operate this year. Michael Thomas questions too about his health, about the way that New Orleans might operate. Rashad Bateman, naturally there's questions there. We have Juju Smith-Schuster on a new team. DK Metcalf without Russell Wilson. What does that look like? Jerry Judy, new quarterback. Um, So you end up saying that Justin Herbert here is likely the most projectable or Patrick Mahomes is likely the most projectable picking the quarterback obviously is not that exciting. So if I'm forced to go outside of quarterback here, I'm going to say that I actually would say Juju Smith Schuster for me is the easiest to build that range of outcomes for and to build a subjective projection for the questions there. I feel the questions that I have for Juju would cause less of a fluctuation in his point scoring than with some of these other players. Amon Ross and Brown, they brought in a lot of other wide receivers. They brought in a highly drafted rookie as a result. It's hard to say how much of last year uh, that situation would apply to this year. Marquise Brown, new team, other players there in the uh, offense. What do things look like when DeAndre Hopkins returns? Those are the questions. Jerry, Judy, I'm not sure if Russell Wilson is going to favor him or Cortland Sutton or KJ Hamler gets in the mix. Uh, Perhaps he uses the tight ends. Questions there. So I'm going to say that it uh, is Juju. Now the player with the most upside, I would say... Is probably there's a couple of good candidates here. I'm kind of thinking possibly about Bateman. You can maybe make the case for Juju being in Kansas City, but I actually think that it could be J.K. Dobbins. You have a team with a very high rushing volume. We talk about that a lot. Looking like Gus Edwards could have issues going into the season. There are some other backs there. Mike Davis, I think he's much more talented than. There's uh, some younger players in the mix there as well. But I think it's possible you could have J.K. Dobbins, who, in my opinion, is a very, very solid player. On a team that's very focused on the running game, should get him high quality opportunities, and I think he could run away with a pretty significant share. And even if he doesn't absorb 60, 65% like some backs could, he could still, at 50%, get enough volume to finish in the top six of running backs. So I would argue that J.K. Dobbins has the most upside in that round. Does he fall into the area of the running back dead zone? Maybe is he a player that I would say I'm targeting all the time? No, but I think that especially if I'm looking for running back upside somewhere in this area of the draft, I think that he might be the player I would point to as carrying the most upside. Let me know if this is just an exercise, just thinking about how projectable a player is and what their upside might look like in general is an exercise that you would like for Curtis and I to talk through and we could do this for More players as we approach the summer than just kind of quickly running through a couple of thoughts on each as we work through the rounds. Also, please, 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 please send in bold predictions. I would love to do a bold predictions episode. If we get maybe 15, 10, 15 fun entries, we'll play them on the air, break those down, then we'll randomly select one or two of you to get some Rotoviz merch. So please, Send those in. The number will play at the end of the episode. It's also in the show notes. All right, round six. You have TJ Hawkinson, Chris Godwin, Darnell Mooney, Dallas Goddard, Josh Jacobs, Elijah Mitchell, Lamar Jackson, Adam Thielen, Elijah Moore, Alan Lazard, Tony Pollard, Kyler Murray. I don't think that anybody would be surprised at all when I say that Lazard carries the highest upside I've talked about him. Curtis has talked about him. Yes. I was a little bit uncertain what to make of him heading into the projection process, heading into the spring really, but I've come around um, on Lazard carrying the most upside, especially when you look at some of the other wide receiver options in here, like Adam Thielen. I don't think that there's going to be too much um, upside For Thielen, though, we do think that he could still score a lot of touchdowns, but playing with Jefferson, he's probably somewhat capped. The running backs don't look to be in situations where they're going to be able to really, really take things over, barring injury for an exercise like this. I don't want to factor that in. Uh, Lazard seems like the pretty obvious choice to me here. In terms of which player is the most projectable, I want to take the quarterback's Out of the equation here. Now, Lazard certainly is not the safest from a projectability type of standpoint. Chris Godwin, I could maybe think about, but there are some issues with the injury there. Um, starts to limit it down to Goddard and Hawkinson and maybe Phelan. Um, so I'm just going gonna, gonna to answer this part of the, of the question here like this. I think that Adam Thielen, it is pretty safe to assume that we have a good feel for where he projects coming in around wide receiver 32. That feels like a pretty fair spot. Um, Hawkinson and Goddard. I think I'm going to go with Thielen here. Uh, I think that's going to be the answer, but I do think that Goddard and Hawkinson are a little bit more projectable perhaps than some of these wide receivers. Uh, And then I'd probably have to give the nod to Goddard because there's more change in that wide receiver landscape with Hawkinson there. Now, of course, AJ Brown's coming into the fold in Philadelphia, uh, but I feel like you're able to predict that there's going to be a higher concentration of the targets between Goddard Smith and Brown than there is with that list of wide receivers there in Detroit, and not knowing exactly how involved perhaps DeAndre Swift might become in the passing game. So we're going to go through round seven here now, and it starts off with Jalen Hurts, Amari Cooper, Clyde Edwards-Helaire, Zach Ertz, Hunter Renfro, Ramondre Stevenson, Chase Edmonds, DeAndre Hopkins, Antonio Gibson, Brandon Ayuk, Drake London, and Christian Kirk. And now this is when things get even murkier. So I'm going to quickly go through as I start to contextualize this, each player, uh, Jalen hurts. It's a little bit hard to say just how big of an impact perhaps AJ Brown can make. And now with the team recognizing that he's the guy, how loose they let him be on the field. Amari Cooper, you cannot say is, uh, is that, projectable because we just don't know what's going to happen with the quarterback position. Do they bring in Jimmy Garoppolo? How do things look with Jacoby Brissett? What's Deshaun Watson like when he gets back Um, among the running back, Edward DeLair, Ramondre Stevenson, Chase Edmonds, Antonio Gibson. They all look to be in potential committees. I don't feel that great saying that I could easily project all of them. I am going to actually have to go here with Brandon Ayuk as the most projectable. You can maybe make a case for Hunter Renfro, maybe make a case for DeAndre Hopkins, but I think that Ayuk, I can easily slate in for over 20% of the targets. I also think that he carries some upside. I think that we've seen what things look like for him when he's performing well, when he's not performing so well. So I would actually say that for that round seven spot, Ayuk is actually fairly projectable in my mind of feeling confident about the range of outcomes that I would assign him. Now, if I'm looking for a player that has a tremendous amount of upside out of this group, I'm not inclined to say that it's any of the running backs except Edwards, Allaire, and... Iuk, I could maybe make the case for, but I think that it's possible that you could see Edward Zelaire in uh, a couple of scenarios finishing as an RB1, far out playing that RB26 type of ADP. I think for these other running backs, it would be much more difficult. And this comes back to playing in that solid offense, looking like Ronald Jones might not make the cut uh on that roster there. There being other players, but Uh, Edwards Allaire being the guy that they would prefer to be the one that's able to control the offense this year. And you think about a couple of the games that he had early on in his career, uh, Tyreek Hill being gone, some of the opportunities that might open up for Edwards Allaire. And I don't think that it's a stretch to see how he could finish as an RB1. All right. I think we've hit enough rounds here for me just kind of talking with myself. Um, I'm going to save some of these other rounds for shorter episodes and I might be able to record myself as we work our way to the season. Please send in your bold predictions, send in other questions that you might have, any topics that you want us to hit before the season starts and we will see you tomorrow.